0: Hey, thanks for listening to the Bellevue Christian Church podcast. We're a church in Bellevue, Pennsylvania, where ordinary people are learning to live everyday life like Jesus. We believe that one way to learn that life is by engaging with an ancient but active collection of books called the Bible every single week. If this teaching leaves you with a question about the content or a story of what God is doing in your life, please send a message to hello at bellevuechristian.church because we'd love to hear from you. So just over four years ago in the summer of 2017, I sent out an email to a trusted group of friends from across the country, different ages, different backgrounds, asking them to pray with me for 30 days about a decision that I was trying to make as I was approaching the end of graduate school at Trinity School for Ministry. I was essentially inviting them into this question that I had been asking the Lord already. It was the question, God, what should I do? And it wasn't the first time that I asked that question. I'd asked that question at many times throughout my life. God, what should I do? Some of the examples from the past decade in 2011, I remember asking God if I should propose to my then girlfriend of, of just over a year, Julie Browning, uh, who, I had, uh, who, um, who I was excited about and really trying to decide what to do with their next step. And I didn't hear much from God either way on that. Uh, so I went for it and I haven't regretted it. It's been a good choice. In 2012, I asked God whether or not I should move to Japan and work with the church planning organization where I had interned the previous summer. It was the internship that made me want to be a pastor um, in, 20, uh, in the summer of 2011. And so now I'm praying about uh, what to do and what to do next. And there is a uh, providential set of circumstances that guided me ultimately back to Pittsburgh instead. And I shared a little bit of that story back in our Esther series uh, last spring. Then in 2015, um, I, we had moved back to Bellevue back in 2012. I started a young adults ministry called The View, and we were about three years into that young adults ministry here. It met on Saturday nights. Julie had just started a job she loved at Urban Impact Foundation uh, here in Pittsburgh, but I was starting to get the itch to move on from Pittsburgh and try something new. I had never seen myself living in Pittsburgh long term, and I thought, okay, maybe there's something else out there for me. Maybe now's the time to move and begin thinking about a different option. A couple friends had called me up and talked about planting a church, and I started to have conversations. Conversations about what it could look like to start a new church, maybe somewhere else in the country, in a major urban city, or um, in uh, even in Europe. I was starting to look at cities on maps and beginning to pray about where God might be leading me next. And I was praying deeply about it. I was looking at maps, but I felt God speak to my heart something like, "Let Julie thrive and her new job for a while. I have something else for you." Not too long after that, I ended up getting a scholarship to attend a seminary I hadn't even heard of at the time of that prayer, Trinity School for Ministry. Um, now back, in, back to 2017. At this point, I'm deep in seminary. I'm about a year and a half from graduating. I'm working part-time here at this church where I'd worked since 2012. It's a church that I'd grown up attending as well. Um, and my wife, Julie, she's busy running summer day camp at Urban Impact Foundation. We're living in a very hot third-floor apartment. We have our first kid on the way. And I'm beginning to wonder now, what should I do next? What should I do after I graduate? I was thinking maybe I could pursue church planning. That's something I'd always wanted to do. Maybe now was the season where I could do something like that. I thought maybe God might call me to another established church. I'd gotten phone calls around that time from some other pastors of churches that I loved asking me to consider to come working for them or to come. They were about to step down as lead pastor to consider applying for that role. And it was around that time that for the first time it popped into my head that maybe I could be the lead pastor at this church. At the time, it, wasn't, it was the option that I was least interested in pursuing. But it was the one that I couldn't really shake from my heart. At the time, I didn't even know when my dad, who was the lead pastor during that season, would be stepping down from the position. He wouldn't be announcing that for another six to 12 months. But I was starting to think about what I was called to do next. And so I had all these options in my mind about how to, what to do after I graduate, And I knew the first decision that I needed to make was whether or not God had a future for me at this church. This is, again, four years ago in 2017, or whether I could cross that off my list and move on to some other options. And so I sent this email to a trusted group of friends, walking them through what was on my mind, asking them to pray with me for 30 days about one question. Here's the email. I highlighted it here. Should I stay in Bellevue and pursue leadership at Bellevue Christian Church, which at that point nobody was even talking to me about it, or move on to something else like church planning? Obviously, this was a pretty major decision for me to decide whether or not I wanted to stick it out here and um, see what the Lord had for me when there was really no promise of anything at all or even no conversations about it. And this is a big decision, but our day is full of decisions. Some of you made decisions this morning, decisions about whether or not to come to church or to join us online, whether or not, uh, you know, what to wear and so on. We've been making, you're going to make decisions about what to eat after this, who to spend time with this afternoon, what to do this evening. We're making decisions all day. Some of those decisions are very inconsequential. Some of those decisions are very consequential, have have a disproportionate impact on our life. Some of the mostly inconsequential decisions are things like, you know, should I have Jimmy John's or Subway for lunch? The answer is Jimmy John's. You don't need to hear God's will on that. Should I watch another episode of the Office or start a new series? Should I get a Toyota or a Subaru? Uh, should I cut my hair short or keep growing out my amazing mane? I had to pray about that when I was wanted to marry Julie. Um, you can know you can hear how the Lord answered that. Um, should I get that leap, leak fixed or wait until the problem's a little bit bigger? Um, you should get the leak fixed, uh, just in case you're wondering. A lot of small decisions we make throughout the course of a day. you're going to be making decisions today. But usually there's a bigger decision sometimes sitting on the back of our minds all the time. A big decision about something that's approaching that we know we need to figure out what to do. It's like the decision I was facing four years ago when I wrote this email. It's a decision that's a little bit more than those normal day-to-day decisions we have to make. These are the decisions that feel like they have a disproportionate impact on our lives. The ones that if we get them wrong... It could really mean a lot for our life. And if we get them right, it might mean a lot for our life. We just know that we just want to get whatever the decision is. We want to get it right. We want to make sure we really think about it because it matters to the rest of our lives. These are decisions like, you know, should I propose to this person or break up? Should I move to a new city or stay where I'm at? Should I leave my job and take this new job opportunity? Should I leave my job and stay at home? Should I leave my job even though there's not a new job opportunity ahead of me? Should we buy a house or should we save up some more? Should we start having kids? Should we keep having kids? Should we pursue fostering and adoption? Which school should I send my kids to in the fall or should I keep them at home? Where should I go to college? What degree should I pursue? When's the right time to retire from my job? Should I go back to school? Where should I go to church? Should I go to church? Should I pursue a path into vocational ministry to be like a pastor or a worship leader? Should I walk away from Christianity? or should I become a Christian? These are all questions that are often lingering in the back of our minds. Maybe there's one lingering for you right now. Maybe you recently made a decision, a big decision like that. Or maybe you're going to in the next few weeks, or you're going to be faced with another decision soon enough. And at some point in the decision-making process, another question will pop into our heads. And it's this question, God, what should I do? God, what should I do? We have these big questions lingering in our minds, and often out of nowhere, this other question pops up, God, what should I do? We live in a secular age right now, a moment where our defaults are not primed to think about spiritual things, where we're not really the kinds of people who tend to think about input from the divine on a normal day-to-day basis, but even then, many of us still have this craving to hear a word from God. That even if you're here this morning or you know somebody who's not a believer, there's this time that we hit where we find ourselves asking this question, reaching out, God, what should I do? That if there is a God who knows everything about everyone, if there is a God who knows all possible paths, if there is a God who knows my past and my future and how every option I choose could turn out, surely if there is one, I want to hear from him about what I should do about this decision that I'm facing. You've probably asked some form of this question, God, what should I do? It's a question that breaks through our skepticisms and suspicions about hearing from God. But the question before us is, does God actually answer when we ask that question? Does God actually care enough about the decisions that you make to speak into them, the decisions that matter most to us? If you have a Bible or a phone, open up to John chapter 10 going to be our key text for today. We're going to spend just a little bit of time in it. We're going to spend a lot of time in the Bible throughout this series, but just a little bit of time introducing it in John chapter 10, today. In John chapter 10, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he's using this metaphor of a of a sheep and a shepherd and a thief and all these different things. And in John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus says a line that's one of our favorite lines at this church. It's a line that we come back to as a team all the time. It's it's one of my favorite summaries of the good news of what Jesus has come to do. And here's what he says. He says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they might have life. Everybody say life. And life in abundance. Some translations say life to the fullest. Uh, Eugene Peterson paraphrases that as as more and better life than you ever dreamed of. Many people have a sense that their lives are made for more. And Jesus here confirms that they are in fact made for more. And if you follow him throughout the rest of his ministry, what we see is that not only are we made for more, not only is he confirming that, but he's giving us access to it through his own life, death, and resurrection. He's showing us what that abundant life looks like, and now he's giving us access to the life that we were made for. When you read through the rest of the New Testament, you see it's a life of meaning that gives you purpose in a monotonous world. It's a life where you can rejoice even in the midst of suffering. It's a life where you have the power to change what previously felt impossible to change. It's a life where you can live without fear of death. It's a life that comes with friends who are there for you in hard times. It's a life that can completely change how you think about work and marriage and every other aspect of your everyday life. It's a life you were made for, life abundant, life to the fullest, more and better life than you ever dreamed of. But that's just getting started. There's something else about that life that Jesus hints at a little bit earlier in John chapter 10. A part of that life that is significant for what we're talking about today with hearing from God. Go back to the beginning of John chapter 10, verses 1 through 5, and listen to what Jesus says about this life. He says, Truly I tell you, anyone who doesn't enter by the sheep pen, or enters the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is a shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens it uh, or opens it Let's see, opens it to him, and the sheep hear his voice. Everybody say, hear his voice. hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought all his own outside, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. Everybody say, know his voice. Know his voice. They will never follow a stranger, and so they will run away from him because they don't know the voice of strangers. We're the sheep in this analogy, in case you're wondering. Jesus here is the shepherd, and what he's talking about, he's talking about both that initial call of salvation, when he calls us to be his followers, that he calls us with his voice, he calls us by name, we're going to come back to that. But we also see that there's an ongoing familiarity with his voice that we learn through experience, that he doesn't just talk to us once when he's calling us into this life, but that a part and aspect of this life that we're made for is that he wants to talk to you regularly, And he wants you to hear and to know his voice, to learn to recognize his voice, so we're not led astray by what he calls strangers. There's a lot that we could talk about from this verse. But if you hear one thing from this verse today, it's very simple. Here's what I want you to hear, is that you are made to hear from God. You are made to hear from God. Maybe no one's ever told you that before. Maybe in this moment you're hearing a longing that you've had confirmed for the first time. You've had this sense that you're made to hear from God. You've had this sense that you're you're invited to talk to the creator of the universe. But today, in this passage, it's being confirmed that you are made to hear from God. Just like the sheep with their shepherd, you are made to live in a relationship with God, a relationship that includes ongoing conversation where you learn to recognize the voice of God through experience. That's why you have this urge to talk to God. That's why we ask this question, God, what should I do? It's not because we're crazy. It's because it's what we're made to do. We're made to interact with the God of the universe about the big decisions that we face in our lives. You were made to talk with God and to hear back from him. You might say, Austin, that's just one verse. It's from one verse from John chapter 10 that you're saying, I'm made to hear from God. And that's one verse, but what I hear is what I think is that the best evidence for hearing God, is not just one verse, but it's the whole of the scriptures, the whole Bible. Not just one verse is the best evidence that you were made to hear from God. If I had time, I would go through tons of examples of people who are hearing from God in the scriptures as a normal part of their lives. But let me just name a few, and we're only going to get to Exodus 2, which is the second book of the Bible, and I'm going to skip a bunch on the way. Listen to a few. Here's Adam and Eve after they sinned and fell. So this isn't like when everything was perfect. This is after they messed up. God still talks to them. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So the Lord called out to the man and said to him. Everybody say said to him. Said to him, where are you? He spoke to them. Let's go ahead. You know, we're skipping Cain, who he talks to as well. Let's go to Abraham. His name is Abram at the time. It says, the Lord said to Abraham, all right, to Abram. Everyone say, said to Abram. Said. The Lord said to him, go from your land, your relatives, your father's house to the land I will show you. Let's talk about Hagar. Hagar, who is cast out and completely abandoned. God hears her and speaks to her. Essentially a single mom. God heard the boy crying and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, what's wrong, Hagar. Don't be afraid, for God has heard the boy crying from the place where he is. God speaks. Let's go to Abraham's son, Isaac. From there he went up to Beersheba, and the Lord appeared to him that night and said, again, it said, speaking to him, I am the God of your father Abraham. Don't be afraid, for I'm with you. I'll bless you and multiply your offspring because of my servant Abraham. Let's go now out of Genesis. We skipped a bunch. Let's go to Exodus chapter 2, our Exodus 3. One of the most famous, Moses is walking by, as a shepherd and he sees this bush that's burning and on fire, but it's not burning up. And it's, he turns aside and it says, when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called out to him from the bush, Moses, Moses. That's just the first two books. I skipped stuff. There's also people like Cain, Noah, a random servant of Abraham, Jacob, Joseph, Samuel, David, all the time, Solomon, all the prophets, Elijah, Elisha, Ezekiel, Jonah, Hosea, Daniel, to name a few. And not just the Old Testament, but the New Testament, Zechariah, Mary, Jesus, Peter, Paul, John, all of these people have occasions in Scripture where they hear God speak to them at a significant intersection of their life where God speaks to them because we are made to hear from God. And you might be thinking, well, that's the people in the scriptures. Those are the Bible people. These are Bible times we're talking about. But here's what I want you to know. This is from uh, one of my favorite authors, Eugene Peterson. He says that all of the Bible is livable. This isn't just about another world somewhere else. This is about our world. This is about our relationship with God. This is about how God's normative patterns of operating with human beings. You might think these are the, the exception to the rule, but we believe that these are actually the norm of how God interacts with us. Listen to how Dallas Willard summarizes this in his, his book, Hearing God, where he, one of my kind of companion books throughout this series. He says this, God's visits to Adam and Eve in the garden, Enoch's walks with God, and the face-to-face conversation between Moses and Jehovah are all commonly regarded as highly exceptional moments in the religious history of humankind. Aside from their obvious historical role, however, they're not meant to be exceptional at all. Rather, they are examples of the normal human life God intended for us. God's indwelling as people through personal presence and fellowship. Given our basic nature, we live, really live. Again, that's, that's hinting at that abundant life. Only through God's regularly speaking in our souls, and thus by every word that comes from the mouth of God. You were made for, to hear from God. I want to confirm that this morning. That's not the question for us. The question is, do you know how to listen when he speaks? Would you be able to recognize his voice if he said something to you? This is where I think people get tripped up. So I'm responsible for getting my kids ready and dressed and fed in the morning. Um, So if the kids are wearing something weird, blame me. Um, And most of the time, I don't get up early enough to read my Bible and pray, at least not lately. So I often attempt to do both at the same time, which let me tell you right now, never works. But I keep trying. Um, And so it's summer and me and the kids will often eat breakfast out in the backyard at the picnic table. Levi has fruit, yogurt, bread, um, some weird oatmeal concoction for Evelyn. And I'll usually, again, try to read my Bible um, while feeding both of them. And sometimes I'll try to pray as well. And often what I'll do is I'll get up and I'll go walk around my backyard and just pray. And I'll talk out loud. Um, And usually what I explain to Levi is I say, I'm just going to go talk to God. And I leave it at that. And he usually doesn't ask any questions about it. He's like, all right. Sounds about right. And so I go out and I go talk to God about these things. A few weeks ago, I had this basic conversation with my son, Levi. He's three and a half. And, uh, and I can tell he's starting to think about what I've just said. You know, I explained it to him again. I explained prayer. I said, you know, I'm talking to God. I want to hear from him, you know, about my day. And, um, and I'm about to get up and go for my walk around my backyard to, to pray. And just as I get up, he looks up from his yogurt. And he yells out at the top of his lungs. But keep in mind that our, you know, our backyard is like a re- reverberating chamber for our entire alley. He yells at the top of his lungs, God! As loud as he can. And in total silence. And in the silence, I'm wondering, like, what are my neighbors thinking? Um, because we're outside, and again, the noise, we're, we're those neighbors that right now, it's like, all, we know when the going kids are out. And there's, you know, there's after, after a few seconds of silence, he says, Well, I guess God didn't hear me. And he sits back down and he goes right back to eating his yogurt as if nothing happened. And Evie's just over here eating puffs or something, has no idea what's going on. But I feel like, in that moment, just a few weeks ago, as I was thinking about this series, I feel like that's how a lot of us think about talking to God. We yell out his name, we do the formulas, we say Jehovah if we need to, you know, whatever the things are that we need to say, we try to say them, and we wait in silence hoping to hear from God. But if we're honest, many of us don't even know how to hear from him. We don't know how to listen if he even were talking. And so with that in mind, I want to share just four different ways that people think about hearing from God. Um, To help us out, I want to compare them to four different styles of parenting. Um, And there's a truth to each of these, um, but the last one is the one that I think is going to be closest to the way that God tends to operate. The first, though, the first view of hearing from God is what you might call the absentee God. Everybody say absentee God. According to this view of hearing God, there's nothing left to say that God hasn't already said. You know, he's already given us the Bible. What else would he have to say, right? He doesn't need to say anything else to us anymore. He's given us a lot of words that some of us never even get around to reading. Uh, He's given us a ton of things already. Why else would he say anything more? He's already said everything he needs to say in the Bible. You can imagine it like a father whose children after his children are born leaves them a letter saying, here's all of my advice on life. Take it and then I'm going to leave never going to have a relationship with you. Just take all of my advice. Take all of the facts. I'm going to lay it all out for you in an essay, and then I'm going to leave. And there's something to it, though, about there's a lot in here when it comes to how God speaks to us. Um, as we're going to talk about in two weeks, the first place to hear from God is in the Bible. That if you want to hear God's word, the first, place, first thing you need to do is open God's word because he's already said a lot of things. And you're not going to hear from God if you've already got this thing closed. It starts with opening this up. 2 Timothy chapter 3 says it gives us everything that we need to be complete and equipped. And in fact, what you see in here is what some might call God's general will for our lives. He's already outlined the boundaries in many ways, given us a lot. At the same time, if that's your view of hearing from God, it leaves out the possibility of personal relationship. What we fail to see sometimes is that God did not call us into a relationship with a book. He called us into a relationship with the one that the book is about this is our access point to knowing God. This is some stuff that God has already said to us that forms the boundaries for the other things that he might say as well. God did not just give us the Bible, though, and leave us on our own. And there's no reason to think on the basis of what we see here that God would not still speak to us now, that somehow we get to the end and he's done speaking to us. So that's the first view of God, the absentee God. Second view of God is the helicopter God. Is a helicopter God. And according to this view of hearing from God, we have a God who is constantly speaking to us about every little thing we need to do every second of the day. It's what Dallas Fuller calls the message a minute view of God. He's constantly saying, do this, don't do that, get off of this, go over there, don't go this way, talk to that person, do whatever. It's not unlike what we call helicopter parents who are constantly hovering over their kids, telling them what to do every second of their lives. Me and Julie were very proud that we were reacting against helicopter parents and not being them, and then COVID-19 hit, and all of a sudden, all the non-helicopter parents turned into ones, um, just as a confession. Uh, And sometimes, though, God does act like this. He'll speak to us very specifically about things in our lives. In fact, that's what this series is about. And you'll get a sense in your heart about something that you need to do or not do. And in fact, some of the most fruitful periods of my life have been seasons where I developed a habit of asking God as often as possible, what should I do now throughout the day? But one of the critiques of helicopter parents, and by way of that helicopter gods as well, is that they stunt the growth of their kids by never teaching them how to make decisions, never teaching them how to make mistakes, how to think. that's why E. Stanley Jones, a missionary to India and theologian from the early 20th century says this, obviously God must guide us in a way that will develop spontaneity in us. The development of character rather than direction in this, that, or the other matter must be the primary purpose of the Father. He will guide us, but he won't override us. Suppose a parent would dictate to the child minutely everything he has to do during the day. The child would be stunted under that regime. The point is that the the Lord doesn't give us any direction. That's not the point. The point is that not every second of the day is normally how the Lord operates. And so that's another view that people have of hearing God. You have the absentee God, the helicopter God. That leads to the third view, which is the affirming God. The affirming God. According to this view of hearing from God, God only seems to say what you want to hear. He agrees with you all the time. He applauds you and celebrates you. It seems like whenever you ask him what to do, he always tells you exactly what you were going to do anyways, never disagrees with you. In a paraphrase of Amy Poehler's character in Mean Girls, he's not a regular God. He's a cool God. Um, that's a very specific joke. Uh, and sometimes, right, God does agree with you sometimes as you grow in maturity and you learn God's heart, you're going to have a lot of moments where you and God feel like you're on the same page all the time, where you have an idea and it's God's idea too, and it feels like you're going in the same direction. And that's something that you learn as you grow as a Christian, that you'll often find that you and God were thinking the same thing. The problem, of course, with this view of God, though, is that sometimes we have stupid ideas and we need correction from God, where we need him to tell us, no, that's a stupid idea, You should not do that thing. We live in a cultural moment where parents are often told that loving your kids means constantly affirming them and never correcting them. And we apply that to God despite the fact that we're learning that always affirming is messing up entire generations of kids and I would say Christians as well. God is often going to correct us. And often what I find is that if you have an affirming God, usually it's not God, it's just another version of you. Fourth one, this is one I think is closest to how God tends to operate most of the time. And we think it's styles of parenting. It's the free-range God. According to this view of hearing from God, God does outline the basic principles for how to live. In fact, what he outlines in here in the scriptures is the boundaries for what is possible behaviors and what is permitted uh, within life in God's world. And then he gives us the room within those boundaries to make a lot of decisions for ourselves without minute-to-minute guidance. At the same time, God will often speak specifically about some big intersections of our lives. And so God, in general, does give us a lot of the boundary. But then he doesn't just leave us on our own. He enters into relationship with us, and sometimes he will speak very specific about something. So he's not an absentee God who doesn't speak anymore. He's not a helicopter God who's always telling us to do. He's not just an affirming God who always agrees with us, but he's somewhat free range in that he gives us room to apply his will for our lives that's already been revealed in here. And sometimes he speaks more specifically. I say free range at its best, not free range that says no rules. You can do whatever you want. That'd be the affirming God. This is free range at its best where he's given us boundaries. He says you can operate within these and sometimes I'll talk more specifically. In many decisions, in fact, some of the decisions you're facing right now, we find that there are multiple good options, and God actually doesn't really care what you do. You might find out after seeking God's will on a particular decision that God simply says, you choose, do one, both seem fine. To quote Willard again, several different courses of actions may each be God's perfect will in a given circumstance. We should assume that this is so in all cases where we are walking in his general will, we uh, are experiencing hearing his voice, and find no specific direction when we seek it. In some cases, there are usually various things that would equally please God, though he directs uh, none of them in particular to be done. The example that he gives that I go to a lot and I found very helpful and I've shared with others is the example of a parent of two children. You know, imagine my two kids again, Evelyn and Levi. Evelyn is almost one, Levi's almost four. Imagine they're a couple years older, though. And we're, you know, a lot of parents know this. You're in that space between dinner and bedtime. And you're like, I do not know how to fill this space. And so you're in that space, so dinner has ended up early, and you say to your kids, just go play. I say to Evelyn and Levi, just say, go play. And Levi goes out the back door, and he goes and plays on his playground. He swings on the swing set. He plays outside. Evelyn, on the other hand, she goes inside. She stays inside, she plays with some of the toys that are in the living room. And the question that Willard asks here is, are either of my children outside of my will? The answer is no. Both of them are playing. One is played inside. One has played outside. It wasn't really a moral thing. It was just a matter of go play. One chose to play inside. One chose to play outside. They could have both been outside. They could have both been inside. But in, in the end, either option within my will was fine. And that's how God operates a lot of the time. He's already, a lot of people are like, what's God's will for my life? It's right here. He's told us a lot of his will already and given us a lot of freedom within that, those boundaries to figure out how we're supposed to live and choices we need to make. But sometimes, if that's how God operates normally, sometimes though, he speaks more specifically about a particularly important intersection or decision that we're making. And the question for us is, how do we know when God is speaking more specifically? How do we know when he's not just saying to go play and giving us some options? When you're facing a big move or a job opportunity or you're in the midst of a relationship, you're trying to decide what to do next. How do you know when God is saying either option is fine or if he's trying to give you something more specific? That's what the rest of this series is gonna be about. In this series, what I wanna do is I wanna give you a four-part framework, a very practical framework for hearing from God. Four different sources that you can pay attention to that will help you hear from God that we're gonna walk through in this series. I'm just gonna give you an, a high-level 30,000 foot view right now. The first one is scripture. The first place to start, we're going to talk about in two weeks, is what do I sense that God is saying to me through the Bible? Um, We'll talk about why this is the first place to hear from God and why the Bible operates as the test for everything else. If you hear God say something that disagrees with something he already said here, you're probably not hearing God. Let me just help you out. Not probably. You aren't hearing God. Uh, let me help you out there. Um, but we're going to look at how sometimes God will speak through a specific verse or a story where in your regular, your regular Bible reading, God will speak through something or highlight something for you that is helping you hear from him. And it's not just because you flip the Bible open at random and touch a verse, although sometimes that works. Second thing is Solitude. What do you feel like God is saying in your heart? Solitude isn't the only place that God speaks, but it's one of the places where you can hear God's voice a little bit better. It's what Elijah experienced uh, in 1 Kings as a still small voice of God. And this is especially true in a time where we're surrounded by competing voices. I want to teach you how to hear God's voice in your heart. The third source that will help us discern God's voice in a particular decision is community. What do you feel like God is saying through others, especially other mature Christians? It can be helpful to invite other people into the process of discerning God's voice. Uh, That's what I did back in 2017, and that's what we see in places like Acts 13, which we're going to talk about. Final area is circumstances. What do I feel like God is saying through my circumstances? We'll talk about open and closed doors or signs that God might use to point you in a particular direction. Should we see signs everywhere? Should we see signs nowhere? Um, How do you know if it even is a sign and it's not just your confirmation bias looking for a sign everywhere? So these are four things that we're going to walk through over the next six weeks or the next six weeks that will help you um, get a sense of what God might be saying. I know there are about two quick questions that might be popping into your hearts. The first one is, does God always use all four of these? The answer is no. This is something I created based on a lot of my reading of the Bible and others, and my own experience that can be helpful for getting a stronger sense of what God might be saying. But I'm going to show you examples over the next couple weeks where God might just speak through one of these areas very loud and clearly on some aspect in your life. But often, again, they'll all work together. Another question that you might be asking: Where's the Holy Spirit in all this? right? Where, is there room for the Holy Spirit? And the answer is yes. The Holy Spirit's right at the center, or you could say the Holy Spirit is the circle around all this. The only way that we can discern God's voice in Scripture, solitude, community, and circumstances is because God's Spirit, His ongoing power and presence is in us, enabling us to hear in, His voice in these different areas. And next week, before we even get into this framework, what we're going to do is talk about a question that you have to ask before you're even ready for it, including the most important prayer you can pray when it comes to hearing from God. But by the end of this series, here's what I hope you realize. It's what I hope to do. It's help you realize that hearing God is less of a mystical experience and more of a practical skill. It's less of a mystical experience reserved for saints and people in the Bible. That only happens every once in a while. And, and it's more of a practical skill that you can develop for ordinary people like you and me who are learning how to live everyday life like Jesus can be sharpened and developed through experience and experimentation as you learn to recognize the voice of God in your daily life. It's not just an experience reserved for super special people. And to help you develop that skill, I want you to experiment with hearing God over the next six weeks about a decision that you're trying to make. On your way in, we gave you a card with space to write out a decision that you're exploring right now, one that's that lingering in the back of your mind. And again, not just a small decision, um, but a bigger decision you're trying to make right now. Before we head into communion today, I want you to write down one decision that you want to hear from God about. You might not be able to think of one right then, you might think of it later, but this is just for you. This is a card I want you to take home and keep with you. If you want, you can let us know on our website, and we can pray for you as a team as well. Um, we've already had people submit through there to let us know about a decision they're thinking about. We want to be praying for you. If you're married, you might be writing down the same thing. You know, you have the same question on your minds. Maybe you're not sure about this whole hearing from God thing. And I encourage you, though, to give it a try. What do you have to lose? If you don't hear from God, great. It confirmed you can't hear from him. But if you do, it might blow your mind. So I encourage you uh, to give it a try. It might be helpful to use the back of the card to write down things that you're noticing throughout the process, even list out the actual options before you. And in the end, you might find that you don't get a direct word from God about something. And it might be one of those decisions where God simply says, you know what? You can get this house or that house. You can get married or not. You know, he might just leave the options out for you to decide. But at least you'll have more confidence in that decision than if you hadn't tried this. And that was mostly my experience when I saw God back in 2017. After 30 days of prayer and fasting with some friends, I wrote them, to them this email. Here's what I said. I said, I didn't receive any kind of divine confirmation in either direction. But I decided to walk forward in faith and pursue long-term ministry here in Bellevue. This is what I've sensed from the beginning, but as I walk forward, I'm still asking the Lord for some kind of prophetic word to reassure me, encourage me, and feel my trust. I, never, I didn't come out of that season saying, God told me this is what I need to do. In fact, I never said anything like that because I didn't have a sense of the word from the Lord. I did not have a word either way, but I sensed from those other four things that I needed to at least move forward. And what happened is as a result of the discernment of our transition team at the end of 2019 to the beginning of 2020, it helped confirm God's word to me that I didn't even have back in 2017. And there were a few other moments that confirmed that that was the direction to go. As we close, here's the last thing I want you to know, is that you can't expect revelation from God without a relationship with God. You can't expect revelation from God without a relationship with God. Or as Willard has said, there's no communication apart from communion. And that's what Jesus came to make possible for you. He came to make it possible for you to have a relationship with God. He lived, he died, he rose again, so that through faith in him, you could have a real personal relationship with the God, not just with a book, but with the God behind this book that this book gives us access to. That's what Jesus was saying in John chapter 10, verse 3, when he said, The sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. What he's, what he's talking about is he leads them out of darkness and into light, he leads them out of the world and into the kingdom of God, he leads them out of death. And into the lives that they were made for. The first word from God that you need to hear is not about a decision that you're trying to make. The first word from God that each and every one of us needs to hear is God calling your name. The shepherd saying to you your name and inviting you to follow him into the fullness of life that you're made for. The fullness of life that includes conversation with him about big and small decisions. The fullness of life that includes meaning in a world of monotony. The fullness of life that he's talking about in John chapter 10, verse 10. The first word that you hear from God is not about some big decision that you're facing, but is your name. Him saying, come, follow me into the fullness of life. Many of you have that relationship already, but it's possible that some of you have never entered into that relationship. And I wanna give you the opportunity to do that this morning because it's possible that Jesus might be whispering your name today. Maybe for the first time, he's whispering it to you. Maybe he's whispering it to you again. You've wandered a long way off, but he's saying, come, come back. Come back into relationship with me. This is the first decision you need to hear from God or you need to hear about from God. You need to hear your name and hear him inviting you to follow him. I want everyone to close their eyes for a moment. I want everyone to close their eyes for just a moment. If that's you, if you want a relationship with God for the first time and you hear him calling your name this morning, or maybe you want to come back to a relationship with God because you've wandered away, if that's you, I just want you to lift your hand and make that decision now. I want us to all pray a short prayer together. I want everybody here to repeat this after me. Repeat this after me. God, I want a relationship with you. Thank you for calling me by name. Forgive me for the sins that kept me out of relationship with you. I believe that your son Jesus lived, died, and rose again so that we could have that relationship. May this be one of many conversations. In the name of Jesus, Amen. Thanks for listening. If that teaching moved you or left you with questions, let us know by sending a message to hello at belvucristian.church. And be sure to subscribe to this podcast for a new teaching from us every single week.